revival has been on everybody's mind. Is that true? The, um, the 70, 50 to 75,000 people who went through Asbury. Can you believe that? Little tiny town. Got people talking about revival who don't usually talk about revival. I like that. Um, we're all talking about revival. We're always talking about revival, but we're talking about it more. So we, um, <clears throat> we're trying to think of like practical ways. If like Now, it doesn't always have to happen the same way, right? But let's just say it happens like it happened before, and we're all on the floor, and nobody can do anything, all that stuff. Um, one of the conversations I had with Travis Johnston, children's pastor, is what happens if revival hits in this room and happens to not hit in the children's room? I said, you're on your own, bud. <laughs> what happens? I don't know. <laughs> That's why you do those things, you know. Keep the kids alive. So that was very, I did not help <clears throat> in that conversation. Brent, uh, tech guy, he has, I think he has the most volunteers of any department, right, on a given Sunday. There's like a huge number of people doing this. So he's thinking about what happens if the camera guy falls out and we're trying to figure out. All the people on the internet are like, huh. You know, sorry guys, <laughs> we tried. We did our best, internet, we love you, Boca. Boca would actually, they don't mind, they'll just take off. They'll have their own, they'll go, yeah. They'll have their own revival. Uh, my favorite conversation about revival was here. Um, after we finished praying uh, before one of the first services, Tiff and I were talking, and uh, I think, I don't know what we were talking about, we were probably joking, because we're jokesters. <clears throat> you may, so... We were probably joking. We are definitely talking about something probably worthless. We're chatting, an unnamed, and I'm going to try to avoid giving hints, uh, young worship leader came up. It's like 8.58. She says to Tiff, I've got to go to the bathroom. Should I hold it? I could hold it if the Lord doesn't move and the service doesn't go extra long. <laughs> right? <laughs> Or if there's enough time, I could run right now. And I'm thinking, wow, it's amazing that we're planning our bathroom visits. <laughs> like, I don't know, that's faith. I'd say that that's faith, and I, I feel good about that. So I'm just sort of like, oh, that's great. Tiff gave what I thought was a remarkable answer. It's very uh, practical, really practical. She goes, hmm, depends. <laughs> but um, bum Right. She wasn't even telling a joke. She, this really happened, and this is what she said. And I thought, that's so practical, Tiff. You should be in charge of the revival response team, you know. <laughs> we need somebody to be. But it turns out she was just saying it depends on the urgency. No, you, okay. You knew I was the one who... So, <clears throat> we've had revival on the mind. Um, Asbury has brought it up in our minds for sure. Um, the Jesus Revolution. How many of you have seen the Jesus Revolution? I know you did. Okay, good. I saw the hand do this. Um, it is, it's back in the uh, Harrisburg Regal cinemas, which are sort of semi-regal in actuality. <laughs> I feel like it's a misnomer, but it's fine. It's going to be fine. 
Um, but it's there again this week if you want to see it. I recommend it. I think it builds faith. I think it tells us a little bit about ourselves also since we're basically in that movement. Um, so <clears throat> we've had a lot of conversation, really, we really have, about preparing for revival. And, um, you know, one of the questions is, like, really, can you prepare for revival? And I, I think you can. I'm going to talk about it for a few minutes. And then we will go into communion. I know those of you who are highly routinized um, and have a hard time breaking from convention are squirming in your seats during worship trying to figure out when we're going to get the elements into communion. You're going to be, you're going to be fine. Uh, we'll do it at the end. Hopefully this leads into it. Um, so preparing for revival brings up, I thought, man, this makes me think of preparing. The last time the church talked a lot about preparing, it was for the end times. This is, anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, come on. Yes, you do. Yeah, thank you. Who said yeah? I heard a big yeah over there. Yeah. When I was a kid, there was this constant fear that first of all, we, the Antichrist, we'd accidentally vote for the Antichrist, right? So every time there was an election, every time there was some change of power in some sphere in the world, people were doing all this math to figure out if he was 666. You guys remember this? The birthday and this, whatever, all these, all these really, it got very complicated. You're doing calculus and it's supposed to be a revelation of Jesus, not a revelation of um, the Antichrist. So I remember that. I remember thinking through um, if you are pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, no-trib, one fish, two fish, green fish, blue fish. Like, I don't even know. I, I still don't know. I don't know any of that stuff. It scares me to think about that stuff because we get so into it, not because it's actually a scary event. Uh, we were always paying attention to um, the despots that ran these countries in the Middle East because maybe they're the Antichrist, maybe Gog, Magog, who knows, may not, you know. I remember being afraid as a kid that I would accidentally take the mark of the beast. <laughs> I read too many Left Behind books or you know, whatever they were. <clears throat> I thought, oh no, they snuck it on me. So far, I think so far they have not. I did get COVID tested a couple of times and that thing goes way up your nose. I don't know what's on the end of that stick. <laughs> I'm still buying and selling. So it's a little iffy. Time will tell. I don't get the feeling that I took the mark, but you can come pray for me at the end. Actually, don't. <laughs> to be honest, don't. <clears throat> but preparing for revival, I think, is something that really exists. I think it's a real thing. Um, and I think it's good to do. Judges 2.10 says, there it is, all that generation, this is the generation that went through everything with Joshua. All of that generation were gathered to their fathers, means they died. And there arose another generation after them that did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. I believe that every generation needs its own experience with the Lord. Um, I really believe in intergenerational collaboration um, I'm the child of P. 
people who were converted by visions of Jesus as hippies, right? So I love the Jesus movement. I'm a product of it then, I'm a product of it now in this very house. The reason we tell those stories is not to create some sort of a template that we reenact, right? We tell those stories to inspire, to build hope, to encourage us, and to fuel intercession, right? We're, we're looking for our own. Ultimately, we're looking for our own, right? And this is a multi-generational church, so some of you have one. I'm kind of in this weird position where I was at Toronto. I was little, but I definitely knew what was going on and was touched. So I actually have this weird potential to have an old wineskin, right? Who knows what this next thing's gonna look like? I'm always asking the Lord, keep me fresh. Because that one really wasn't mine, right? It affected me. But there's more of this. The Lord wants to pour his spirit out. That's why this stuff is the way it is in us. Do you know that 30 years ago, last Sunday, Lonnie Frisbee went to the Lord? Do you know that? Isn't that interesting? Movie comes out. I don't know. There's something going on. Asbury. I think there's a reason this is all being emphasized. Um, one of the ways that we prepare ourselves uh, for revival is by paying attention to prophecy. And I'm bringing this up because it's kind of like an elephant in the room lately, <clears throat> ever since the election. Remember that? Um, I really want us to examine our hearts when it comes to this stuff. I think that a lot of the people who pounced on the prophets who either missed it or at least claim to have missed it, who knows, I'm still, my vote's out actually, on whether or not they missed it. Um, I think a lot of the people who jumped on that situation were actually eager. There's an eagerness in their tone that makes me uneasy. Um, like they were, they were waiting for those prophets who have always been weird to blow it. Like, hey, thanks, now I have a reason to be annoyed by you and I can go public with it. I really don't like that. Um, I think it's really important that we guard our hearts against that kind of thing. Um, Paul famously told Timothy to wage war with prophecies. I think that the reason we acquire prophetic words is because we need them. They become the food, the fuel to keep the flame going. They become the foundation of faith. We go, no, 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 the Lord spoke. I'm claiming that. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to walk with it, right? We need that in our lives. So Paul also addresses this in 1 Thessalonians 5, starting at verse 19. He says, do not quench the spirit. We love that verse because we're charismatics. And he says, do not despise prophecies. And we're like, woohoo. But look why he says, he specifically says, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. The word test there is like you would test somebody's coin to see if it's real gold. It means to authenticate, to validate, to see if it's the real deal. And then he says to hold on to what's good, and the word good literally means authentic. It means genuine. Paul is saying here, we, we don't despise prophecy because they get it wrong sometimes. We, I think we needed this about a year and a half ago, right? Just because it's gonna occasionally be missed because we're working it out. We don't have an excuse to despise it or to reject it. In fact, the onus is on us as listeners. The responsibility falls on us. He says, no, no, it's up to you to examine, to authenticate, and then to hold on, hold fast to what is good. There are a lot of prophetic words 
about more moves. Um, there are new, recent, current words about more moves. There are old, long-standing, unfulfilled words like the billion soul harvest word um, that we're building our lives on, right? If you're under 40 in this room, you should be building your life on that because it's, it's, our, it's our word. Um, <clears throat> it's very easy when things get awkward to just distance yourself from the situation. Like, man, people are really not into the prophets. Eh, it got kind of weird. I'm just going to withdraw. Don't do it. It's a time to step in. It's not a time to step out. Um, thinking about some of the movements that have been influenced by prophecy, just because it matters to me, um, the, one of the more obvious ones, because of the emphasis that we're all in right now, is Chuck Smith's relationship to um, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. So Chuck Smith was a denominational pastor in Corona. He had a really good life. It was working, because when you work for a denomination, they really take care of you, right? It was apparently a really nice, I've never been to Corona, but apparently a very nice part of California. Uh, he gets this offer from this church, from Calvary Chapel, little tiny church. He's trying to kind of like get independent, and they want a pastor, so it seems like a good deal. He brings it to his wife, and she's like, I don't want to move to Costa Mesa, and I don't want the insecurity that comes from breaking from this, this system that helps support us. She cries, actually, so he kind of felt moved, and as a husband, you get this. You're like, okay, sorry, honey, I'm not going to ruin our lives. Um, that should be the response. I'm not going to ruin our lives. So <clears throat> he says no. Okay, so there's 25 people left at this Calvary Chapel because it's shrinking. There's about 12, 13 of them that are really in. He says no. They're like, okay, well, this is it. What are we going to do? They gather to pray because they're asking the Lord whether or not they should close the church. As they're praying, one of them gets a prophetic word that says, hey, listen, don't give up on Chuck Smith. He is my man for this job. Man, it's a good thing they got that word. And then there's three or four specifics that get laid out. And in the first few months after Chuck finally said yes, because his wife, the Lord confronted his wife, um, those specifics played out exactly. That group of people needed that prophetic word. And look, the Lord, maybe the Lord will get stuff done some other way, the way he wants. He's going to work things out. I don't know. But that church set up the whole Jesus people movement. We're here because that little prophetic word created some faith that created some strength that caused some people to persevere. So don't give in to the temptation to discredit the prophecies. Um, out of that, just at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, between 70 and 74, 30,000 people got saved. Over the course of, yeah, you could, sure. Over the course of the whole movement, just in direct salvations, 250,000 people got saved. And then most of those people were launched. This is the unique thing about the Jesus People Movement. Very few of them became average Christians. They went on, they started churches. They started missions movements. Think of the millions of people who were not just hundreds of thousands, millions. It birthed all modern Christian music. CCM, if that's your thing, I forgive you, right? That was in there, the modern worship movement. Everything all the way up to what we're seeing now coming out of Bethel, coming out of Hillsong. 
This stuff all came from that. And it was 12 people sitting around interceding for their future pastor against his will. (laughs) And they had a prophetic word. So don't disregard um, prophecy, even if it gets uncomfortable. The Lord will speak to us. He'll give us the discernment. It's not just up to our intellect. He's, he's good. Um, so, you know, thinking about preparing, um, some of the reasons, that, that just, these just jump out to me. This isn't like the only thing. I'm going to set you free before I give this list. I should have done this in the first service because I could feel people like, oh. Uh, you can't do any of the things I'm about to list. You can't fix any of these things. I'm going to list three reasons people tend, in my observation, um, scripturally and historically, to miss a move of God, to either completely miss it or to excuse themselves from it. Um, so just to give you the, the liberty to not feel crushed by this, I'm just saying there's up front, there's no way out of this except the Lord. And don't worry, that's more than enough. Okay. So one reason that we may miss a move of God is the cost. Uh, moves of God are messy. They affect reputation. Um, The rich young ruler is a perfect example of somebody who is confronted by a move of God, a seasonal move of God, right? That was a shift. It was a transition. He weighed the cost and he said no. Now, we all would love to think he came later. Maybe he did, but that's not recorded, right? We don't know that. Um, An example from our own world that's a little bit more modern where it did turn out is Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson has... this ability to sort of stand in the most electric of atmospheres and not really be moved. He's just, I mean, moved, he's moved in some way, but he doesn't like tend to fall down and flop all over the place and all that stuff. Uh, so he goes to Toronto and that's what happens. He does fall down and flop all over the place. He shakes and shakes and shakes and he shakes so much it physically hurts him. It starts to scare him and he starts to pray, God, stop, you've got to stop. You're going to kill me. You've got to stop. You've got to stop. You're going to kill me. And in this place of not being able to stop, he starts to picture himself trying to go up to the podium at his church to preach, and he can't do it because he's shaking and people are laughing at him. He pictures himself trying to go down the aisle at the grocery store, and he can't do it because he's shaking, and people are laughing at him. The Lord said, you're going to shake till there's no fear of man left. He had an opportunity in that moment, to submit to the movement of the Lord in his life. There was a cost. Thank God he submitted, right? Thank God. And I believe he submitted for the very reason that I'm going to give at the end, the the way we do prepare. Um, So, the cost. That's one of the reasons that we may miss a move of God. Um, Another religious preoccupation. And again, just uh, to set you free, we can't fix these problems in ourselves. This is the Lord. We're waiting on the Lord to do this. Um, Religious preoccupation. The most obvious to me example in scripture is Caiaphas versus Nicodemus, right? They both are peers, essentially. They're both very wealthy. They're both very religiously connected. They've both got everything going for them. They have very safe lives. They're in very powerful positions. They're very popular. There's a lot of prominence. They even have some interface. They responded completely differently to the man, Jesus. So we see 
Nicodemus come to him in the famous at night scene and have these conversations with him. But we do know that by the time Jesus is crucified, Nicodemus joins Joseph of Arimathea, who was a similar kind of a dude, really well-positioned religious leader, very wealthy. And the two of them take it on themselves to take care of the body of Jesus. That signals that they had become believers in some sense, right? And the story is, and this is, who knows if this is true, but this is the Jewish lore around it, or first century lore, is that they're buried in common graves with Stephen. That they gave up, this is, if there's no way they were buried in common graves if they hadn't given up all that position. We do know they were kicked out of the Sanhedrin. That's recorded. They made a decision. At the same time, Caiaphas literally masterminds the murder of Jesus. I don't think Caiaphas was like, here's what I'm going to do. <clears throat> I'll be the villain. Right? <laughs> I'm going to make sure I get this wrong. I'm going to miss him. And, you know, I don't think any of that stuff. I don't think he had any twinge in his conscience about doing what he was doing. He was preoccupied with the system that he was working in. And in his life, this makes sense. He even says this unbelievable but famous sentence where, look, Jesus is doing too much. He's causing too much trouble. It's better that one man die than that a nation be punished for it. That's a political way of thinking. Jesus as a pawn, right? And the, the Sadducees are famously political. He was stuck in his religious preoccupation, and he did miss it. A famous example there that's somewhat, that's again in sort of in the vein that we're in, um, is this event where Lonnie Frisbee preaches at John Wimber's church for the first time on May 11th, 1980. And um, <clears throat> John was a little nervous about it anyway, because Lonnie was kind of a loose cannon. And uh, Lonnie preaches for a little while because he told his friends, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it together. I'm going to do a good job. I'm not going to be weird, right? And he's like trying to preach and doing all this stuff. You can listen to it on YouTube. It's okay. Um, finally, he just breaks and says, listen, we've all offended the Holy Spirit, but he wants to come anyway. Come, Holy Spirit. And the room goes wild. Bodies everywhere. Everything's right. This kid falls in the middle of a bunch of bodies, and a microphone falls right next to his face, and he's speaking in tongues on a mic for an hour, and everybody's freaked out and offended. Right. John was a church growth consultant. He had a great church. It was working. He wasn't in a desperate position like a lot of these guys were. And he had a reputation on the line. And he had to labor over what to do about this. Do I stay entangled reputationally with this wild card and the crazy things that follow him? Or do I give in to what the Lord is doing and go with it? And thank God, through sovereign means, he was directed to overcome that inhibition. And we got the word and the spirit back together again in this movement, and I believe it preserved the movement all the way through to today. So, we may miss if we're stuck on cost. We may miss if we're stuck on religious preoccupations. These are reasons that we should consider preparing for revival. Um, the third is offense. Another very famous passage, John the Baptist is in prison. He seems like it's about to, you know, hit the end. And 
<clears throat> sends his disciples to Jesus and says, listen, I just want to make sure this is going to work, that you really are who we're all talking about you being, and that this is, I'm losing my head for a good reason, and right. And Jesus says, yeah, 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 tell him all this stuff. This is what's happening, definitely. Let him know, right? And then he throws in this little tail comment where he says, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Right, and commentators pull that out and they say, look, it's very unlikely he was saying that to John. John knew him, John got him, they were family. John intentionally laid his life down to prepare the way, right? He's probably saying that to John's disciples who had been sent because Jesus' movement is distinctly non-religious. John's was all about religious zeal. Jesus' movement is growing, John's is shrinking, Jesus' movement is marked by all of these sinners, and John's was sort of a purist thing. You came to him because you wanted to see a prophet. He even says so, Jesus said. Did you come to see a reed in the desert or to hear a prophet, right? So there was an offense that Jesus calls out, and he's saying, listen, it's best, blessed. It's, you'll be happiest <laughs> if you're not offended by me. So, it's easy to pull a few things out of that, right? What if the manifestation happens the wrong way or to the wrong people? What if it grows in some place we don't think it should grow? What if it takes from us? What if, right, think about all these places that our mind could go where they were. And then Jesus throws in this, there's this one other thing in the list, the lame walk, the blind uh, see, the deaf lepers, all that stuff. And he goes, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And that's kind of a, it's a tough phrase to translate. Really, what it says is the poor are gospelated. Like, the good news is happening to them. And this was offensive, because the poor in this situation included tax collectors. They were spiritually poor, right? Included prostitutes, included drunkards, included all these people that the religious system didn't incorporate, included Samaritans, dear Jesus, right? So, in the Jesus people movement, it was the hippies, and the church had to get over the fact that the hippies were being gospelated because it was happening to them in the church as the processing plant. Right. So no stretch of the imagination required, right? Who's it gonna be today? We're gonna be praying for creative miracles to restore gender modification surgeries, right? Yeah. Right. Are we going to be positioned to be offended by that or to handle it when they fill our pews, they fill our seats. When they come forward, who's gonna go lay hands on them? People who are unoffended. Because the poor are being gospelated. It's gonna happen here. I'm telling you, it's gonna happen here. <clears throat> So with all that, those three things, again, who knows, that list is probably infinite, but that's what occurred to me. Um, there, there are things you can't do anything about, I can't do anything about, none of us can control ourselves out of those kinds of responses or those tendencies, right? The solution here is the same solution that it's been the whole time, it's the only solution. It's the solution to everything at all. Um, Charles hit on this last week. The solution is personal revival. Andy Bird used that phrase when he was here. 
I used that phrase a year ago. Um, I don't think we're listening to each other. I think we're listening to the same source, right? And when I heard it, it was as a word for this house. Um, I, it was almost, it was a year ago Wednesday that I preached that here. Um, personal revival consists of one thing. It consists of abiding in the vine. That's all it is. So this is, what I'm doing is I'm setting you free. Uh, all of that other stuff falls to the wayside if we're abiding. Um, so this is, what, this is a chunk of what Charles read last week. John 15, 1 says, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken. Abide in me, I in you. Let's skip down to nine. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love, which begs the question of how. Verse 10 answers the question. If you keep my commandments, full stop. Keep my commandments, you abide in me. And I don't think this is the 10 commandments. He talks about it. He says, listen, my commandment is this, love each other. Right? The act of keeping that commandment, the greatest commandment, causes us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It causes us to submit to the leading of the Lord. Um, look, I can love some of you really easily, and others of you take a little bit more from me to do this with, right? There are times when my kids, I, like it's some work involved in loving them. And what happens inside of me in those moments is a leading of the Lord. And it's very personal, it's very private, it's something nobody pats you on the back for but it's an edge being rounded off, right? It's, a it's the choice to forgive again. It's the choice to give, to be selfless. It it's the choice to pick this thing up or to put that thing down. These are things that can't be commoditized. That this, this is not something that you can create a system that somehow gives a whole bunch of answers about how to handle these situations. This stuff only comes from the leading of the Lord. And it is the abiding in the vine. It is. The abiding in the vine, so the vine dresser is sovereignty. The fruit is sovereignly prepared. The soil is sovereignly, this is all the Lord. And we weave in and out of our, our awareness of sovereignty. Most of the time when we see something that was done sovereignly, it's in hindsight. We go, oh wow, that was you, Lord. Right? Wow, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Right? Sovereignty and its relationship to us is mostly beyond us. Almost everything he does, we don't observe. Almost everything he does is in the background, but it's essential, it's necessary. He's, he, he doesn't waste a moment of thought and action. That's all on him. That's all determining the fruit. The fruit is the stuff that he's after, right? All we do is abide. He leads, we follow. He leads, we follow. He leads, we follow. He leads, we follow. We're abiding. If we do this, there's no missing it. If we do this, we catch the wind of the Spirit. Nobody knows where it comes from, where it goes. This is how. Personal revival is abiding in the vine. Um, let's stand, let's get ready to take communion. His leadership looks so many different ways. Sometimes it's a giving, sometimes it's a taking. Um, 
sometimes corrective, sometimes encouraging. Remember that he chastens those that he loves. His chastening in our hearts and our lives is an expression of his belief that will make it. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to do and to will for his good pleasure. Personal revival does in us the same thing that corporate revival does on a large scale. This is from Jonathan Edwards, who I think was more than qualified to write on the subject of revival, he says, real revival increases a sense, a new, creates a new sense of love towards God and others. Men and women see spiritual truth and error more clearly, so our senses are refined, our perception is clarified and spiritualized. Men and women have a greater response to scripture. I love that he said response. He could have said love for, but he said response to. In other words, it's changing us. We're not just appreciating it more. It's affecting us more. Satan's kingdom suffers, and in his book, it's parenthetical, he says, real repentance. Which is a gift, by the way. Real repentance can't be manufactured. It comes from the Lord giving grace in application to what he highlights through conviction. And it raises the esteem of Jesus. It does this in us. It does this in others through us. We abide in the vine. So before we take communion, Paul tells us to examine ourselves. And I, This morning, I really wanted us to kind of have individual responses, which is why we're doing this this way, because I thought this is the one thing that we do that's corporate and individual in a real, real amazing sense, right? Like we're being tied to the whole of church everywhere, all, all over, anytime, past, present, future. And we're being led individually in that process of examining. So the Lord's going to speak to us. So um, as we sing this song, or don't sing it, whatever it is that you need to do to connect to the Holy Spirit in this thing, as we hear, participate in this, um, I'm asking you to submit your self-examination to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't think that self-guided self-examination is safe or healthy. Um, I think it's sort of the equivalent of a Tower of Babel. It's us doing it our own way, throwing a finger at heaven and saying, I've got this, no thanks. Um, I think that a lot of the spirit of the age would direct us to spiritually self-assess. And I think it creates categories that create excuses, and I think it ends up in bondage to self, not freedom from self. But if the Holy Spirit guides this process, it leads to the fruit of the Spirit. And now, we're abiding. So as we sing, take some time, and I'm gonna pray, examine yourself under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to come. To come to Life Center. stir us, to stir the water. We commit the fruit to you, Father. We commit the growth, the management to you, Father. 
And Holy Spirit, we're asking you to come and to guide us in abiding, to prepare our hearts not only for revival, but for everything you do, to see you, to perceive you, to have pure hearts that catch on to you. In Jesus' name. If you want to come during the song and grab the elements so that you're ready, that'd be great. And we'll start back up.
If you need to grab the elements, go ahead and do so. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. Thank you, Jesus. Said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus, as we come to the table, Place us in the body. We remember. Thank you for your merciful breaking, for the blessing in the breaking, for positioning us, for revealing yourself, Jesus. Here as we take the body we participate in the body. Go ahead. It's in us and we are in it. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. <clears throat> Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Go ahead and hold up the cup. So Jesus, we recognize that this is all paid for by your blood, that all access to the throne, that all of the healing, the wholeness, the forgiveness, that the finished work, that everything you're doing in us, the abiding in the vine, your merciful keeping is by the blood. And so here today, we take it, we take it not in vain, we take it with a knowledge of who you are, what you're doing, with gratitude for it, and we bless its work in us and through us. In the name of Jesus, go ahead and take. Go ahead and just hold your hands out. You can stay standing. <clears throat> so Holy Spirit, we receive as the breath of God, as the one who leads and guides into all truth, as the only helper, the only one who can do the work of the kingdom come in us, the only one we take by faith everything that you have, we claim the abiding presence. We just say yes to the abiding presence. Yes to the presence here. Yes to the overflow. Yes to the more. Yes to everything you have in your heart for Life Center, through Life Center, outside of this place, going forth. We receive everything that you're doing, will do what you want here in us, through us. And I ask you to keep us I ask you by your leadership, by the authority, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, keep us in the vine. And we'll say yes. We'll say yes to you. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Life Center, I bless you to abide in the vine. So, go and carry him with you. You're ready for revival. You're ready for it. Don't forget to get your children, because they'll probably be sad if you do. And if you're interested in EITC, please go to that meeting. Don't fund a gender transformation. Transfer your funding. Bless you guys.